We're glad to have you this morning. And um, I usually like to kind of uh, prepare you for what we're gonna share together. And uh, I think most of us, in the course of our lives, uh, we've done a few things that you know, we're not all that proud about, and uh, we probably wish that we hadn't done them, but what we try to do is we try to learn from them. And uh, so this morning, I, I'm gonna share something along those lines. Uh, I watched a movie 35 years ago that I pro- it's probably not a good movie to watch, so I don't recommend that you go home and watch it, but I'm trying to redeem that moment right now. Uh, it was called Trading Places. And uh, it had uh, Dan Aykroyd and it had uh, Eddie Murphy in it. And there was something in that movie that I think will help us kind of wrap our arms around what God actually has for us this morning. So watch this clip and uh, then we'll talk about it. Pay up, Mortimer, I've won the bet. Here, one (laughs) dollar. Wait, okay. Perfectly useless psychopath like Valentine and turned him into a successful executive. And during the same time, we turned an honest, hardworking man into a violently deranged would-be killer. <laughs> now, what are we going to do about taking Winthrop back and returning Valentine to the ghetto? <laughs> So I'm not going to ask a show of hands how many have seen that movie. Uh, so just let the pastor's confession suffice for this morning. So don't go home and watch that. Uh, but let me, if, if you didn't really catch the idea behind that movie when that clip that you showed, those two guys owned a, um, a stock brokerage company. And uh, they had hired a uh, very ed- well-educated guy uh, who was played by Dan Aykroyd. His name was Winthorpe in the movie. And they had hired him to run their brokerage firm. And he was doing a great job. Well, somewhere along the way, they decided to engage in a social experiment. And so what they decided to do was set Winthorpe up to be arrested and charged falsely and see what would happen to him. Meanwhile, they were going to take a con man, a kind of a, a street thug off of the street and put him in the position of running their brokerage and see what happens. And they made a $1 bet on it. And so in that scene, they were paying off and settling up the bet because just before that scene, Winthorpe, who had lost his job, lost his reputation, uh, had just kind of gone off the deep end. And he shows up in the brokerage and he runs into Eddie Murphy's office who now had his position And he was throwing drug paraphernalia in there and he was gonna try to get him arrested on on being a drug pusher. Well, Eddie Murphy and the two guys that owned the brokerage walked in and caught him doing it. And they, they were chastising him like, I can't believe you've stooped this low. And so he pulls out a gun and then he runs out of the brokerage and everybody's screaming and hollering. And after he leaves, the two guys who owned it were just shaking their heads going, I cannot believe What has happened to Winthorpe? Look at him, look what he's resorted to. Now, remember Eddie Murphy, his character was somebody who had just been pulled off the street. And now he was this business executive. And he looks at the two guys who own the brokerage 
And he said, yeah, well, at least he had money to buy drugs with. Did you see all that? And they said, but Valentine, he's lost everything. And then Eddie Murphy said, you can't be soft on those guys. Now, in the movie, that was funny. But in real life, we don't really find that all that humorous. Because here's here's what struck me when I watched that movie. We love to pull for underdogs, don't we? And we're in America, we love the underdog. We we love to pull for the underdog. We love to see people overcome their beginnings. I mean, who doesn't love Rudy, the movie Rudy, right? You guys seen that one? I hate Notre Dame. Sorry, if 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 you like Notre Dame, I sorry I offended you. I can't stand Notre Dame, but I love Rudy. I was pulling for Rudy. Go, Rudy. I wanted him to get in the game so bad I couldn't stand it. Or or Rocky. You know, when, when I was in college, I had a roommate, and we'd watch Rocky. He goes, I don't know, Polly. I think we can do it. And, and we'd be watching that, and, and we'd, we'd put white tape on our wrist, and then we'd run around campus and do And we, it happened. We did it because we were so inspired. The underdog rose to the occasion. He overcame all odds. We like, go, Rocky. And we love that. But what we don't love is when an underdog rises above their circumstances and then forgets where they came from. See, we can't stand that. It just really rubs us the wrong way. And, and you know, and, and I think this happens an awful lot with uh, people in high profile like athletes, uh, entertainers, politicians, Right? They, they rise to prominence, and, and I think they're especially susceptible to it because the roles that they're in can have a like meteoric rise. And they get into these places where they're, they're having fame and accolades and money that they've never known before, and all of a sudden, they forget everything about who they were and where they came from, and it irritates us. It it bothers us. It bothers us at our core. We can't stand seeing somebody who at one time we were cheering for because we love to see them overcome their odds. But once they do that, we don't want them to forget where they came from. Now, where I grew up in South Carolina, uh, we had a term for that, just an old redneck term. You guys may have used it here too. When people did that, we said that they'd gotten too big for their britches. Heard that? I can't, I can't tell you how many times I heard that growing up. Well, then I got too big for their britches. Took me a while to figure out, well, like, well, I'll just buy new britches, right? Uh, but, you know, I got older. I figured it out. And um, so, so when people get to that point, we get, we get really frustrated because while they may have had skill and ability that allowed them great opportunity, so you can't change where you came from. And when somebody rises to prominence or when somebody achieves something beyond what they thought that they would or could and they forget where they came from, it bothers us. And it it just, something inside of us starts to turn against this person because they forgot where they came from. And it's important this morning that we kind of wrestle with that reality and understand 
what God is saying for about that because there's a couple things that are valuable about remembering where you came from. And number one is that it keeps you humble. Now, a lot of us, we're not, we're not that crazy about being kept humble. That doesn't really sound all that appealing nor all that compelling. But trust me, as I've gotten older, I've learned that being, learning to, to remain humble is a, is a very important thing. So remembering where you came from keeps you humble. Uh, it keeps you grounded, right? Because, and, and what that means is it keeps you stable. See, when life starts giving you opportunities that you didn't have before, it's really easy to come unglued from where you were, and now you can be blown all over the place, and that's a dangerous situation. But when you remember where you came from, you can stay grounded. When you remember where you came from, it makes you appreciate where you are. Man, I tell you, every, every, every morning I wake up and, um, and we sit out on, on our screened-in porch. And, uh, and I grew up in the South, in South Carolina, and, and screened-in porches are a thing. And, and they're a thing here, which I love. We did not have one in Peoria. And I, I love a screened-in porch. So every morning I get out there and I'm like, man, I, I have not forgotten where I came from. I came from Peoria. We didn't have a screened-in porch. I love this. So when you, when you remember where you came from, it makes you appreciate where you are. One other thing about remembering where you came from is it usually will motivate you to go back to help the people in the place that you once were from. Okay? So what does all of that have to do with our study in the ebook, Ephesians chapter 2? What does that have to do with any of this? Well, last week, let me, let me remind you of a couple of things. We, we opened up the ebook and we looked at our identity. And identity is a really, really important thing in our world today because there are a lot of people struggling with identity. They don't understand who they are. And their identity is wrapped up in what they have or, or whose circle of friends that they're in what labels are being placed on them. And if you're getting bad labels like Wilson did a couple of weeks ago, then your identity becomes wrapped up in the ugly pictures that are associated with these labels. So identity is incredibly, incredibly important. And we looked at chapter one, Paul was all about saying, hey, listen, you're chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted, you're accepted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're informed, you're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and you are sealed. Those are beautiful, powerful labels of identity that God wants you to know this morning, that's who you are in Christ. That's how he sees you. And it doesn't matter if the rest of the world sees you this way because God says, I see you this way and this is who you are. And so we have to understand that we have to learn to wear those labels and adopt them into our mindset. And then because of that, we read together a... Um, a declaration last week. It was the last thing we did uh, as a church together before we dismissed. And here's what we said. We said, I am an accepted, approved, and chosen child of the king. I will conduct my life today as such. I will not be influenced by what others may think of me because I know 
I am loved by God. Just think about how powerful that is for a second. I'm not gonna be influenced by what other people think of me. Why? Because I know what God thinks of me. So it really doesn't matter what other people think of me if I know what God thinks of me. I will do my best today to live a life that will honor him and point people to him. I am ready to have my faith enlarged and my commitment strengthened. This is my declaration, so help me God. And we can live that way because we understand these things about who God said we are. But as we move to chapter two, we make a transition here because God starts out by telling us, this is your identity and all of this, all of this, every bit of it is 100% true. And remember, he said, I've sealed it. Take it to the bank, it's true. But while every bit of that is true, chapter two begins to remind us not to forget where we came from. So open it up. Ephesians chapter two, your ebook. <clears throat> We're gonna look at uh, the first 10 verses of this chapter. And uh, this morning, by the way, I'm reading from the New Living uh, Translation. And uh, by the way, if you, if you use a digital copy uh, and you can't get, we changed our password. So if you need a digital copy, you need to jump online to get that. Uh, our password is now love others. We've enhanced our, our uh, internet. And so now it, the, the Wi-Fi should be able to handle all of you jumping on at one time. So if you need to jump on and do that, by all means, please do so. Uh, because I want you to follow along. Whether you've got a hard copy or a digital copy, I want you following along. So this morning, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation in chapter 2. So beginning with verse 1. Paul says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. By the way, I love that phrase, but God. But God. This, 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 and this, but God. This, this, and this, and this, but God. This, 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 and this, but God. In this particular chapter, Paul is saying, hey, listen, you aren't any different from all of those other people. You were separated from God. You were living far from him. You were lost in your sin, but God. Praise God for those two words, but God. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all 
future ages. He can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Father, as we open up your word and we look into the scriptures and understand who we are and where we came from, God, I pray that you will convict us in places that need convicting, that you will affirm us in places where we need to be affirmed. You will challenge us, Lord, in those areas of our life where we need to be challenged. But Lord, one thing, please don't let us leave here the same. Do not let us leave here the same. God, unsettle every spirit this morning from their comfort zone and move us to exactly where you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. It's a weird prayer, isn't it? That God would unsettle us. But that's what we need, isn't it? We need to be unsettled. We need to be shaken out of our comfort zone sometimes so that we can move to where God wants us to move. And by the way, God does never wants us to stay exactly where we are. We have a constant journey toward Christ-likeness, and we will never be there until the day we stop breathing. So it's, that journey never, never ends. It never finishes. So I pray that we will be unsettled. And so as we look at that, this this morning, um, we never want to let the world tell us who we are. We don't, we don't want to let the world give us these bad labels. They, they'll do it, but we never want to accept them. We never want to let this become our identity. We want to let God speak to who our identity is. And we never want to forget that what he said, everything that he said there is true. But when we forget where we came from, bad things happen. When we forget where we came from, bad things happen. Well, what do you mean by that? What kind of bad things happen when we forget where we came from. And I'm specifically talking this morning about spiritually. So yes, that's absolutely one of them. We're gonna hit on that in almost just a few more seconds. So what happens when we forget where we came from? Well, I will tell you that the first thing that happens is we forget that it's his agenda and not ours. Well, where did you get that from? Look in verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us when? When? Long ago. Jesus planned the things for us to do long ago. You know what that means, church? That means that we are here on God's agenda, not our own. And when we forget where we came from, we forget that. It becomes very much about ourselves. It becomes very much about our preferences. It becomes very much about what we want and what we don't want. And God says through Paul in Ephesians 2.10, listen, I saved you so you can do the good works. I 
planned for you long ago. It's God's agenda, church. It's not mine as your preacher and pastor. It's not George's as the associate. It's not Carlin's as the worship leader. It's not your Sunday school teacher's agenda. It is nobody's agenda but God's. And when we forget where we came from, then we start thinking in terms of our own agenda and not the agenda that God planned for us long ago. So if it's about God's agenda, then we need to make sure that we understand what is God's agenda. Doesn't it make sense to you, right? Like if it's all about God's agenda, what's his agenda? Well, I think there's a couple of places that we can look in scripture and be pretty clear about what that is. There was a, somebody that came to him in Matthew chapter 22 and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And so in Matthew 22, Jesus responded to this very, very important question And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when when somebody says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus starts here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think we can take it to the bank. That is part and parcel of God's agenda for each and every one of us. That we love the Lord our God with everything we got. Amen? Amen? All right. So that's God's agenda. Well, what happens when we forget where we came from? To quote somebody down here on the front row, we become prideful. When we forget that it's God's agenda and not ours, we can become incredibly prideful. In what way? I think one of the biggest dangers in modern American Christianity, but I think it dates way back, but I think we're just more more aware of it because of social media and the technology that we have today but this is a heart problem and it goes all the way back. Here's what happens when we forget it's God's agenda. We start comparing ourselves to other people instead of Jesus Christ. Don't you start feeling a whole lot better about yourself when you start pointing at other people? Have you ever noticed that you almost always pick out people that are worse than you at something? Why is that? How come you don't pick out somebody way better than you go, man, I will never be as good as that guy. I mean, when we want to feel good about ourselves, we always pick out people worse. And there's an incredible example of this. Uh, In fact, go ahead and turn over to it. Um, Turn over to Luke uh, chapter 18. Hold your place in Ephesians. Uh, Turn over to Luke 18. Probably familiar with this story but I want to share it again because I think it's a great example of this. Luke chapter 18, and in verse 9, Jesus told a parable called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and this is how it goes. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and then scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The other was one of these guys with all the ugly bad labels. One was feeling really good about himself and one just a despised tax collector. Nobody liked that guy. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. 
I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I mean, does that not just make you cringe right there? I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. In fact, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. I think he broke his arm, patting himself on the back. I think he had to seek medical attention when this was over. Look how good I am, God. I give you tenth of everything I've got. I fast twice a week. How awesome am I, God? Let me tell you something. Happens in churches all over America. Happens in churches in southern Illinois. But the tax collector, in verse 13, stood at a distance. And he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus talking, I tell you, this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, we start comparing ourselves to, I come to church more than they do. I show up more than they do. I work more than they do. I give more than they do. I fast twice a week more than they do. I read my Bible more than they do. I dress better than they do. I have never gone where they went. I have never done what they did. I am so much better than them. Thank you, God, that I am not like them. Now, here's the truth about that, church. Most of us will never pray that prayer, but I promise you, it's right in here. You will never pray that prayer out loud. You will never admit to it, but it's what you think. It's what you felt. And to be perfectly honest, I've had those dark moments in my own heart as well where I look at somebody else and I'm like, oh man, I'm way better than they are. Why? Because it makes me feel good about myself. But compared to Jesus, I'm nowhere close. And neither are you. There is not a person in this building, there's not a person that ever walked in this building that is anywhere close. But when we forget where we came from, then we can get really prideful about who we are and where we are. And Paul says in verses eight and nine, just in case you have forgotten, that God saved you by his grace. When you believe, you cannot take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that nobody can boast about it. The old King James, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of yourselves. So that no one can boast. You've got absolutely nothing to brag about. 
I have absolutely nothing to brag about because it is all God. But when we forget where we came from, when we forget, as in the start of chapter 2, that we were once far, far, far from God, and we were living in sin just like everybody else, then we can start to feel pretty self-righteous about who we are. And Paul said, don't you dare forget. Don't you dare forget. This was all God. It's grace that saved you. It is not you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. There will never be a single person that spends eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven that can stand up and pat himself on the back like that Pharisee and go, look what I did. Will not happen. Now, for those of us who are believers already, that's a challenge to us this morning that we don't forget that it was God who did the work, not us. For those of you who may not be sure that you belong to Jesus, it's not a challenge, it's an offer. You don't have to worry whether you're good enough. You're not. Neither were any of us. It's an open call. All who will may come. I love that. So when we forget where we come from, we can get really prideful. So another thing that I want to point out to you is that um, he said, in, right after he answered that question about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, another part of his agenda is to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, yes, the first one is really important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, you know, there's a second one that's basically part and parcel of the first one. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking. So he goes, everything about your life hangs on these two commands. Everything that you need to know about how to conduct your life really comes down and hangs in the balance in between these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we forget where we came from, we can become incredibly self-centered and self-serving. It becomes all about us when we forget where we came from. Let's continue to read in chapter, in, uh, in, in chapter 2 and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now... You have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups 
to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. And now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. When we forget where we came from, we can get pretty arrogant about our own spaces, about our own beliefs, about our own preferences, about our own way of doing things. And when we do that, it's, I mean, there, there is the comparison uh, trap that many people fall into, but this isn't about a comparison. This is my way is right and your way is wrong. And there are too many people in this world that are building walls of separation all over the place. Now listen, we shouldn't be surprised when people of the world act like the world, right? Because they're of the world. They think like the world, they're influenced by the world, and the world is led by the spirit of darkness, which is uh, Satan himself. And he always moves people away from God. And so you got people that are building walls between themselves because my way is right and your way is wrong. My way of thinking is right. Your way of thinking is wrong. My preference is right. Your preference is wrong. And we build these walls between us. You can understand that out in the world, but you know what? It happens way too much in God's church. way too much in God's church. And we start to look at somebody who has a different opinion on us on a certain piece of theology. Well, got to build the wall because I am not talking to you again. Am I speaking the truth? We have a church that we might be close to, we might do fellowship and stuff with, but then they do something, and well, okay, we've got to build a wall, can't do anything with you. We got somebody in the church that ticked us off because they didn't like something and we didn't like something and okay, we build a wall. We will never fellowship with that person again. I will tell you, churches are full of people that sit on opposite sides of the congregation. I'm not calling that out here this morning, but it happens all the time. People sit on opposite sides of the congregation because I don't want to be anywhere near that person. Am I preaching the truth, church? It's exactly what happens. And you know when it happens is when we forget where we came from. When you look in chapter 2 and you look in verse 14, here's what you see. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body in the cross he broke down what? The wall of hostility between us. Jesus didn't come to build walls between people. He came to tear down walls between people. And when the church starts building walls 
between itself and other churches, between its parts of this part of the congregation and that part of the congregation, when the church starts doing that, we are breaking the very heart of God who came not to build them, but to bring them down. To make us one body in Christ Jesus. He broke down the wall of hostility. And so this morning, if we want to remember that it was God who did all the work, then our challenge this morning is, what walls do you need to leave here today and go tear down? And see, they can be walls of race. They can be walls of preference. They can be intellectual walls. Can't stand that person. They're not all that smart. Or I can't stand that person. They think they're too smart. It can be walls of economics. Oh, I got too much money to hang out with that person. There can be all sorts of walls that we build up to wall ourselves off from the other people that we don't want to rub shoulders with. And God said, stop it. I came to tear walls down. Don't you dare try to build them back up. Paul says the wall of hostility was torn down and we've been made into one body. And the hostility between us has been rectified through the cross of Jesus Christ. Two pieces going in totally opposite directions, right? There's a piece that's going horizontal. There's a piece vertical. Totally opposite directions. But through Christ, there's a connecting. There's an intersection where the hostility of two parties that were once at war with each other can be brought back into harmony with each other. What do you, what do you need to go tear down this morning? One other thing that I think Jesus said that was really part and parcel of his, of his um, agenda was found in Matthew 16 when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's clear as a bell. In fact, it was the last thing that Jesus said before he went back to heaven. You'd think that, you know, those parting words, they're pretty important, right? The last thing that he's got to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when we forget where we came from, we lose our bearings. You know, in order to navigate properly, you have to have two things, right? The first thing is what? When you're navigating. Your location. You got to know a starting point. And then you got to know what? Where are you going? Proper navigation requires where you're starting and where you're going. And when we forget where we came from, we forget not only where we started, we tend to forget where we're going. You know why? Because it all becomes all this stuff right here, right in the middle of what we are. And you know, one of the things that bugs me the most, and this is a side point, I'm throwing this in, you don't have to add any extra offering for this. Um, 
So one of the things that irritates me in the modern school system is, is how little history they teach. And you want me to tell you why that bothers me? Is because it, it is allowing us to forget where we came from. And when you forget where you came from, you know the only thing that matters? Right here, right now. That's it. That is a horrible way to live a life. That is a horrible way to navigate your way through the world. Is only what matters is right here, right now, because you can put any spin you want to on right here, right now. So when you forget where you came from, you usually forget where you're going. And all of a sudden, your life just becomes this constant circle around you. Do you know that when Jesus saved us, our journey began at that point toward Christ-likeness. That's our journey. That's where we're headed. That's our goal. That's our destination is Christ-likeness. And Jesus said, just before he went back to heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, when we forget where we came from, we forget that this is important. You know why? Because it's not about the Lord's agenda anymore. We forget what he brought us from, and we forget what he's taking us to. The only thing that matters is this circle that I'm in right here, right now. And God says, oh, you have, you have lost your way. Never, ever forget where you came from. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And by default, that becomes our mission. One last thing about when we forget where we came from is that churches become holier-than-thou places. I think this probably grieves the heart of God more than anything else. Churches, living testaments to his grace, become holier-than-thou places. Let's read the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 2. So now you Gentiles, in verse 19, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone. In other words, the thing that puts it all together is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus. We're coming together as a temple for the Lord and through the Lord. And when we forget all of those things, the churches become holier than thou places where we are better than you. We forget that it was God who did all the work. We start to pat ourselves on the back and we become not an attraction for a world that is lost and seeking salvation. We become a repellent to the world that says, I don't want any of that. And that breaks the heart of God. 
who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to hang in shame on a cross so that the walls of hostility could be broken and that they, the people who are once at war with each other, who are at odds with each other, could be brought into fellowship because, church, hear me on this, trust me on this, you have never been more at odds with anybody in the world than you were at odds with Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't care, I'm coming down to break the wall down between us. Do you hear me? There is not a person in your life that you have ever been more at odds with then you are at odds with God. And if God can move toward us, then we can move toward him. And when we refuse to do that, then that gathering of those people becomes a place where it's all about, man, look how good we are. And the world goes to hell in a handbasket while we pat ourselves on the back and go, man, look at, look at who we are. And we forget how lost, lost is. We forget it for ourselves, which is tragic enough, but we forget it for our friends and our family. Do you understand, church, that your lost friends and your lost family, without Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, are headed toward a Christless eternity in hell? Do you understand that? No big deal. I got what I want. I'm looking good at church. I like what I've got. Meanwhile, friends and family and loved ones are heading to hell because we forgot how lost, lost is. Our prayer as a church every week ought to be to see this place filled with dozens of people who are needing Jesus. Dozens who are needing Jesus. So we prepare for an altar time and a time to do business with the Lord. I challenge you this morning, church. See, we're all of these things. God has affirmed us. He's told you how priceless you are, how valuable you are to him. but never forget where you came from. Never forget that you didn't earn any of that. He did all the work. He did it all. And since he did all the work, then we ought to be willing to do anything that he's called us to do, whether it's something far beyond our ability to comprehend to be able to do it or how insignificant the task may seem. Churches are full of people who will say, well, I'll do the big stuff because I want to I be seen doing the big stuff. And then they won't give you air in a jug to do the small things. And then there are people who say, well, I'll do the small things because I just can't trust God enough to do the big ones. And church, as followers of Jesus Christ, because he's the one who's done all the work, it shouldn't matter if he's calling you to a big thing or a little thing. Nothing should be out of line and God asks us to do it. It's his agenda, not ours. He did all the work, not us. He's the one who saves, not us. And he has asked us to join him on his mission 
to seek and to save the lost. And that means getting them here where they can hear the word of God. Somebody say amen to that.